Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, we've got no time for a guest because Joe Anderson CFP and Big Al Clopine CPA are answering a whole slew of your emails, voice messages, and money questions. They're talking social security disability, filing and suspending IRA contributions and Roth conversions, estimated tax, estate tax, gift tax, social security tax, the qualified business income deduction, selling appreciated stock, and whatever else we can jam in there. And some of the questions the fellows might even answer correctly. If you've got a money question or comment, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, scroll down the page to Ask Joe and Al on air, and send in your email or voice message, just like Kenneth did. We got one, Al. We did. Good morning, Al and Joe. A question. I recently received a two-and-a-half-year back pay check from Social Security Disability. The question is, will I have to pay taxes on this next year, and how would it be taxed? Will it be taxed on the yearly average pay or if it is, has to be taxed, how will it be taxed? And do I have to pay taxes on a back paycheck for Social Security disability? And does receiving a pension, a CalPERS pension, affects my taxes for both state and federal on my Social Security disability back paycheck? Thank you. All right. Uh, Kenneth, so if I understand this, so he received... A two and a half year payback yeah. check. So he How's filed that possible? for he filed for social security disability. Okay. And so it went through the the bureaucracy of the what? Whatever. I knew that was gonna come out bad. I knew it. Bureaucracy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Bureaucracy. Yes, thank you. Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy. Beer. That's his new That's, podcast. There you go. Still thinking about your birthday. Beer. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, it is my birthday and I'm working very diligently. I know Happy you are. birthday, Joe. Okay. Um, so, right, it's probably going through the BS of Social Security that's for a couple of years. That's a much better word for it. Well, and, and that's... And then, you know, he's, you know they got to see if he's actually disabled, and they're like, oh, yeah, Kenneth, you are disabled. He's like, yeah, no doubt. I've been hung <laughs> up in my bed. I can't... For two and a half know, years. For two and a half years. <laughs> right. I'm starving here. Right. And that, that is a true statement, because sometimes, I, I haven't heard it two and a half years long, but it, it can take a while to get to go through. And so what happens is, is they sort of backdate the benefits to when you were disabled, and you can get a lump sum. So I'll, ask, I'll answer kind of the first or the main question here, which is, how is it taxed? And the answer is Social Security and Social Security Disability, it's taxed based upon your provisional income. And so if you have virtually no other income, it's generally not taxed. If you have other income, there's different levels to where it would be taxed, uh, uh, single versus married. The, the point, but let me get to the, the main heart of the question, which is if you receive a lump sum, it's the year that you receive it is the year you're taxed in, unfortunately. It's, it, they don't average it out over several years and do an income averaging or anything like that. It's the year received is the year it's fully taxable, even though maybe it should have been received over the last two and a half years and maybe your taxes would have been lower, right? But that's the way they do it. So Kenneth has a CalPERS pension. Uh, so he goes, hey, does receiving a pension, a CalPERS pension, affect my taxes? And the, the answer is yes. So you have income. So you have to add up you know, your provisional income, like Big Al just said, and that is your adjusted gross income. So you would add up dividends, interest, your CalPERS pension. You know, if, you're, if, if, if Ken's married, his spouse's income. And then they would take half of the Social Security benefits. But what I don't know, Al... On provisional income, in a situation like this, they would not count that back pay 
um, for they would count that as the whole amount of of the adjusted gross. They would not take half of that. Would that be a, an accurate assumption? They would not take half of that for provisional you, income. You know, because let's say Kenneth's Social Security benefit is twenty thousand dollars annually. Sure. What's included in provisional income would be half of that, so ten thousand dollars yes. plus his Kelpers pension, plus the interest dividends and things like that. Yeah. And if it's more than if he's married forty four thousand dollars, then eighty five percent of the Social Security benefit is subject to income tax. Fifteen percent of it is tax free. But that um, Social Security disability pension that is paid out to him, so would it go to the provisional income and let's say eighty five percent? So eighty five percent of that lump sum is going to be subject to to tax? I, I believe so. And the reason is because we're all cash basis taxpayers. So it doesn't really matter when, when, when we receive lump sums, it doesn't really matter what period it was for. It was the year received. And so what that means is that your provisional income will be higher because it, half of a much bigger number, right? And so then more of it would, would essentially be taxed potentially, depending upon how big the numbers are. Right. So it could be tax free. Could be. Yeah, it could be 100% tax free, or 50% of it's going to be taxed, or 85% is going to be taxed. Yeah, so so yeah, there's there's the different levels, and it's and it's not uh, what the, what we call cliff changes, which, which basically means it doesn't all of a sudden become zero and then 50%. Once once you get over into the 50% category, only that part is taxed at 50%. So it's kind of a gradual thing. But so so the point is that it could be taxed at nothing, or it could be taxed as as high as 85% of that income being taxed, whatever your tax rate is, let's just say it's 12% or whatever the tax rate is, 12% of that income could be taxed, you know, up to 85% of that income. So, um, I know that's just clear as mud, huh? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I'm just trying to But but, And I'm thinking pension, weapon, GPO, does that get involved at all? I don't know. No, not with this situation. Okay, good. Yeah, the principal question is, is, is... does he sort of get it, it spaced out over a few years? And the answer is no. The year that he receives the payment is the year it gets added to his tax return, right. and therefore he's got to pay tax based upon that. And the fact that he's getting a bigger lump sum and he has other income probably means that more of it would be taxed than had he received it over the two and a half years. Right. That's unfortunate, but that's the reality. Hmm. Yeah. The more I think about this, the more... We think probably, we should call Mary Beth we, we, yeah, Franklin. We probably, <laughs> probably should call someone else to, <laughs> to get this out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I, I, I'm 90 percent confident in this in that answer. Yeah. I'm I'm 99. 99. Oh, wow. Okay. All yeah. right. Okay. I'll go with that. All right. Yeah. Well, Kenneth, if you get a giant tax bill, uh, you know who to call. Big Al, he's standing behind his word. Yeah, I'm, I got fifty-fifty on that, bud. <laughs> I thought you were ninety percent. Now you're fifty-fifty. Well, fifty-fifty on when he, when he mentions gotcha, my okay. name, it goes way down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. What else do we got? So um, thanks for the, you know. So uh, everyone that's listening, see that's 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 a pretty cool thing to do. You just you know hit the button and then you talk and then next thing you know then you're on the air. I'm sure Kenneth is super excited. He just. Yeah, you got you got you got a little airplay. Air, right? Got a little airplay. That's right. So yeah, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com. You got to scroll all the way all down the to the way. bottom to where it says Ask Joe and Al on air. Yeah, and you got to get carpal tunnel almost on your, your and, wrist. And, and then if scrolling. you're on your phone, there just hit the voice message button, and you can just talk into your phone, and we'll get it and we'll play it. Yeah, and and if you're on your computer, make sure you have a microphone yes. on your computer. Otherwise, we won't hear it very well. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, how many people do you think have done that? A few. <laughs> yeah, I left you a few voicemails. Um, well, how'd you leave me a voicemail? Um, you know, through the computer. <laughs> do you have a microphone? <laughs> oh, that's why you haven't called me back. We got, let's see, Steve from YouTube land. I don't know where the hell that is. I don't either. That's I like a, it, though. It's a I'd new, like to go. New city. You ever been to YouTube land? No. Oh, come on. We all spend hours on YouTube land. <laughs> Anytime you go there and search for something, you're in YouTube land. I've never really spent any time on YouTube. Really? That's because you get the Hulu and the Netflix and the Amazon and all that. Not necessarily, no. no. YouTube, was you, you watch movies and stuff on YouTube? You or, can, yeah. You, yeah, I, I, I've actually watched some t- TV shows on YouTube, but for the most part, it's snippets. Mm. Yeah, it's like you have a... I could see you watching like... How to learn how to speak Spanish or something oh, like that on YouTube? Yeah, totally into it. <laughs> and that's exactly what it's well, great for. If you want to know something, right. Google it. Learn how to, you know, learn how to fix yeah. a carburetor. Or yeah. if you want to know about Social Security. I, I did. Yeah. I just. I did just do a how-to thing. I can't even remember what it was, yeah. but I learned how to do it. <laughs> Apparently, stuck with you. Not really. That's why I need YouTube. <laughs> I don't even know what I YouTube. <laughs> uh, well, Steve was on YouTube and uh, checking out some stuff and. He goes, after watching your info on YouTube, he had a question, didn't see explained on the video. Well, Steve, we do that on purpose. So you come into our office and we sell you a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Not true. (laughs) All right. But since you emailed us, we'll give this to you for free because we usually charge five five cents per question. (laughs) All right, I'm soon to be 69 years old, employed 24 hours per week with full benefits. He was a full-time employee up until February 2019. Is there a spousal benefit my wife can claim if I file for Social Security, then put a hold on Social Security till age 70? She's 66 years old. She can get 50% of my FRA full retirement age benefit. Then once I reclaim my full 70-year benefit from Social Security, she will not get the benefit and her own Social Security will build till she is 70 and starts collecting her own retirement benefit. Hope this is not too confusing. Thank you. Steve. Social Security is confusing. All right. Let's break this thing down, Big Al. All right. First question he's asking us is that he is 69 years old and is curious about a spousal benefit. So the spousal benefit, let's just explain that. Yes. So uh, when you're currently, the current law is that when your spouse is taking his or her benefit, and if you are retirement age, you can claim a spousal benefit. If you're full retirement age, that benefit is 50% of your spouse's full retirement age benefit. So what happened is that Social Security was established, what, in the 30s? And most... Women didn't work in the 30s. No offense to any female out there. No, that's the history. That's how it happened. And so they were like, okay, well, we need to figure something out. So for years, the men could not get a spousal benefit. So how it worked is that, let's say the, the, the woman stayed at home and took care of the kids. I'm not being sexist, but that's, that's what happened. happened. Yes. Okay. And so they gave that spouse a benefit. And that benefit is equi- um, equal 
to half of the other spouse's benefit. So let's say I, my benefit was $2,000. My spouse had never worked a day in her life. She took care of the, I mean, never worked for money a day of her life. She worked her ass off at the house. Well done. Killing herself and being the best damn employee that the household could ever hire, right? Once she reached full retirement age, her benefit would be $1,000, half mine. Right. Okay? So what um, our friend Steve is asking us, Saying, hey, can she get the spousal benefit? The answer is yes. But what he's asking us is that he would like to turn his on, and so she could claim it, then turn his off. That was called file for benefit and suspend. That is no longer, Steve. You cannot file for benefits and suspend. You would file your benefits at age 69. Your wife at 66 would claim a restricted application to take the spousal benefit. If the spousal benefit was higher than her own, because now there's something that's called deemed. You can't say, I'm filing a restricted application. I just want to take the spousal benefit, claim half of it, let mine continue to grow, and then turn mine on at age 70. These are old rules that went away in April of what, 2015? 2016. 2016. Pretty close there. So what would happen is that once she's claiming for benefits, they are going to give her her benefit or the spousal benefit, the higher of the two. She cannot let her. She, but 66, was she born before 1954? If she's about to turn 60. Oh, no, she's 66 years old. So I think she was yeah. born in 60 she, she, in, in 53. Yes, All right. So she, she's she born in 1953. She's still allowed to do a restricted application. So what that means is, Steve, yes, so she could file a restricted application with Social Security benefit, claim the spousal only, let hers continue to grow until age 70, then turn hers on at age 70. She could continue to claim the spousal benefit all the way till her age 70. So when you turn 70, hers just doesn't turn off. She would still have that benefit, that spousal benefit, until she turns 70, then it would flip to her own benefit. Well said and complicated. And and so a couple things changed in, in April of 2016. You could no longer file and suspend and then have those benefit have the spousal benefit be collected. And then the other thing was that deeming rule. That's that that would take a whole nother segment or two, but it makes this much more complicated. Since the answers to those last two questions were almost as confusing as Social Security itself, I've posted some Social Security resources in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, including our most recent interview with the goddess of Social Security, Mary Beth Franklin. Honestly, she explains spousal Social Security benefits really well. Plus, check out the Social Security Secrets episode of the Your Money, Your Wealth TV show and download our free Social Security handbook. It's all in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. And then after all that, if you still have a social security question that needs a complicated but correct answer, scroll down yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Al on air. Now, shifting gears from social security, let's answer those questions you've got about taxes, both estimated and otherwise. Uh, Judy, she uh, she's a little San Diegan. Um, the latest podcast talked about estimated payments to cover alternative year donations. Okay, I'm retired with pension, not yet taking Social Security or uh, using RMD. RMD stands for Required Minimum Distribution. I don't know how you use an RMD. Maybe you spend an RMD, but if you're not using it, do you think she's already taking it and not spending it, or she's not 70 and a half? Don't know. Okay. I do move some I, funds. I, I assume she's not 70 and a half. 
We'll make that assumption. Okay. But she's not using RMD. Yeah. All right. I do move some funds to Roth, taxes taken, um, and make charitable donations. Can you explain form WKRP in <laughs> Cincinnati? Remember that show? Yes, I do. Yeah, I don't was, remember that form, though. That was yeah. a great show. Form W slash 4P. That was uh, Lonnie Anderson? <laughs> it was Lonnie yeah. Anderson. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, related. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> cousin. <laughs> yes, distant. Uh, distant. Yeah, I was under the impression uh, that I could use this form at the end of the year if I needed to make additional tax payments without penalty. Second questions: Are there state penalties too? If so, can you tell me about California? Thank. I learned a lot from you all. So what she's stating here is that with estimated taxes, and then we talked about this last week, I believe we did is that there's a timing sequence with estimated taxes. And you can kind of talk about it a little bit cleaner than me. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> it's like me trying to talk about what? No, uh, let's just carry what? on. For- <laughs> <laughs> I've got the W4P. Right oh, man, you are. Look at this. this I was is- pre- prepared this This week. is show prep, Joe. Yes, I got it. So withholding certificate for pension and annuity payments. Ah, yeah. So it's it's uh, W four is if you're an employee. W four P is if so you're withholding pension. on your pension. Got it. Okay. So basically, all this is doing is it's telling your the payor of your pension how much to withhold from your from your. So that's pension. like a like an I nine or or what are those called or? Uh, well, it's a it's a it's a W W nine. That that's if you are an independent contractor. I think whatever. But you know when you first get your job. Yeah, that's W four. W four. That's what I'm saying. I already said that. <laughs> I know. Whatever. <laughs> I thought it it was is called the W four. I said. I said there's different. a W four for for if you're employed. I wasn't listening. I am aware of that. <laughs> Judy, I'm sorry. So, uh, Judy, I'm going to try to answer your question now. Uh, the question. Well, your question was, can you, you were under, under the impression that you could use this form at the end of the year if you needed to make any additional tax payments. That's not, that's not correct, because this form is so you can withhold from your pension payment. Now, if you've got a gigantic pension payment of $8,000 a month, and you want to withhold it all, then you would change this form for the month of December. But if you needed to make a payment larger than your pension payment, you could not do that. She but, could change it throughout the year. Sure. But it's like, all right, well, instead of taking $300 out, you're going to take $400 out. Yeah. And if you owe $10,000 at the end of the year, I mean, there, it would be pretty hard to make that catch up. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. So some people, I mean, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, good or bad. I'm just saying what some people do, and that is they have, um, they have low withholding at the beginning of the year. So they have more use of the funds, and then they have higher withholding at the end of the year. So they basically catch up to the right spot. And then by year end, you've got the right amount of withholding. The IRS and state of California has no idea when that was withheld, and that actually is, is valid. Now, if you get to December, like I said, let's, let's use a real example. You owe $5,000, but your pension payment's only 3000 Well, you could change your W-4P if, it's, if your employer or if the pension company allows you enough time to do it and have $3,000 withheld fully, right. but you're still short $2,000, you're going to have to make an estimated payment for that, and you will be penalized because you made it in December, not not April, June, September, and then January. So there's penalties um, if you underwithheld. Yeah. And is there state penalties, California? It's the same rule. Same rule. Same exact rule. 
And that penalty is a uh, pretty it's, small percentage. It's small. It's about 3% annual interest, so it's not like it's the end of the world. So if you owe $1,000, 3% on 1000 bucks is uh, you know, a couple of bucks. Yeah, right. James from San Diego. He goes, hi, Joe and Al. Come on, James. Love the show? Nothing like that? <laughs> He's just right into the question. <laughs> it's like, all right. If you sell appreciated stock in a taxable account at the end of the calendar year, it did not make quarterly estimated tax payments in April, June, and September of that year. Is there a penalty for underpayment? Jeez, another penalty. Right. No one wants to pay penalties. No way. Can you pay the tax that is due to the government on the same day that you sell the stock to avoid any penalty? It seems that you might not know early in the calendar year what the future holds later in the year for tax purposes unless you're a psychic. <laughs> James, love your little... That's- that's a yeah, great question. I like that. So we slam you for not liking the show, but we think your question's great. So yeah, and I like his little comic humor at the end. Yeah, so, so the question is relating to, so he sells an appreciated stock right at year end. So how could you make quarterly estimated payments when you didn't even know that was going to happen? Or that you were even going to sell the stock. Yeah, right. So I got good news for you, James. There's Form 2210, Underpayment of Estimated Taxes by Individuals, Estates, and Trust. You go to page four, last page. <laughs> you writing that. this down, James? Jesus. Yeah, Please, a Schedule AI <laughs> for annualized income, part one. Oh God! <laughs> anyway, so the gist of this is the is the last page of this form. You get to put in your income each quarter, and obviously, if you sell that stock in the last quarter, then then it just simply goes in that last quarter only. So you don't have to pay the tax the same day, but you do have to pay it by January fifteenth. That's when the fourth quarter estimated payment is due. Og. Oleg. 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 That's kind of Oleg. Oleg. He's Russian. Oleg. Um, From San Diego. Not Russia. It says San Diego here. (laughs) Question one. All right. When am I expected to pay uh, projected taxes for next year quarterly? By the end of year, any penalty if I pay them next year when taxes are due on April 15th? So, God, this is so popular. I mean, we talked we, yeah, about we that do. once, and Couple all we do is ago. get questions yeah. on this. Stuff. Yeah, they want clarification. <laughs> I don't want to pay that $4 penalty. <laughs> um, so question one. Alan, can you please answer that? Uh, certainly. So there are two ways to avoid penalties, and, and either you pay in up to 90% of this year's tax, right? So if you owe If you owe $10,000, as long as you pay in $9,000, quarterly, or you could do it withholding-wise. Withholding, the IRS doesn't know when it's withheld, so as long as you have 9000 withheld, you're golden. If you if you don't have any withholding and you pay it quarterly, right, so what's that, like 2250 I guess, quarterly, you have to pay that each quarter, otherwise you get penalized, and so that's that's what he's referring to. And it, isn't there a certain percentage, isn't there kind of some weird, so... Well, that's that's the that's the first way to avoid the penalty. Maybe this will answer your question. The second way to avoid the penalty is to pay in a hundred percent of last year's tax, regardless of what this year's tax is. So last year's tax was ten grand, five thousand. Okay. This year's ten thousand. Got it. So as long as you pay in five thousand, then you're not penalized. And is it a certain percentage on the quarterly estimates? Like I pay twenty percent, then forty percent, then thirty percent. Then um, for the IRS, it's twenty five percent. It's one quarter each quarter. Twenty five percent straight. State line. of California is the oddball. They make you pay thirty percent the first quarter, forty percent the second quarter. They let you skip the third quarter, and they make you pay 
30% the fourth quarter. So try to figure that one out. Okay, there you go. There had to have been something going on there. So one, 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 li- one little caveat uh, is if your income for the prior year was over $150,000 adjusted gross income, you have to pay 110% of last year's tax. So I'll just throw So they want you to overpay a little bit. Yeah. In that example, they want you to pay 5500 instead of 5000 All right. Uh, question two. Is the first 20% profit not taxable by the new tax rules for the medical practice? For a medical practice. I think he's talking oh, about... Oh, the, the QBI? Yeah, yeah, 199 Cap A, one, uh, one uh, QBI, Qualified Business Income Deduction. So what, what he's referring to is a sole proprietorship, S-corporation, LLC, small businesses, flow-through businesses to your return. You get to uh, not you, – you don't have to pay taxes on 20% of the profits. Of course, there's all kinds of limitations, so it could be phased out, but that's the basic rule. And he's asking, do you get that right up front? And the answer is no. <laughs> it's pro rata, which means that let's say, let's say your QBI deduction is 10000 bucks, so you get $2,500 for first quarter, $2,500 second quarter, and so on. It's actually, it's actually, not, it, it's actually based upon your profitability. So if, whatever your profits were in the first quarter, you don't have to pay taxes on 20% of that and so forth. So it's, that's, that's how they do it. And I think what he's asking, he's trying to skip the first quarter estimated payment because it's all tax-free up front. And the answer is no, you can't do it that way. Interesting way to um, answer that question. Because I, I thought it was something completely different. What do you think? What question do you have? Or how would you answer it? <laughs> well, I think we answered it. But I, 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 I thought this, the second question was completely different than the, the whole estimated payments. Oh, well, if you have a different interpretation, then I'll answer that one. <laughs> okay. So our buddy Olg. Oleg. Oleg. Um, God, am I so bad at this? How do I keep employed? <laughs> How are you on the radio, Joe? I have because no idea. You have lots of personality and you're enthusiastic. Yes. No clue. Um, he goes, Is the first 20% profit not taxable by the new tax law for his medical practice? So, Oleg is, is Dr. Oleg, right? Yes, Dr. And he's, Oleg. And with he's, his medical he's practice. healing people. Yeah. And he's got a business and he's the man. And then so he's saying, all right, this QBI tax deduction, how the hell does this thing work? Right. I got profit, so is my first 20% of the profits that I make, is that tax-free? That's, uh, that's how I took it. That's how you took it? Yeah. Okay. So I'll answer does that question. Does the QBI apply to the, him? The first, yeah, the first 20%. How does, yeah, how does QBI work to this guy that has a medical, oh, Dr. The, Oleg? The first, yeah, the first, well, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's the first, tw- the all yep. uh, all profits. It, do, it doesn't first, second, third, fourth, <laughs> yeah, right. fifth, sixth. However you want to break it up, twenty percent of that is tax free, as long as you 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 don't get disqualified for a number of other limitations right. and reasons. But yeah, but yeah, if it's twenty percent. So, but but the reason why I thought he asked it on how I answered it was his first question was on estimated payments. I'm with so you. I'm figuring. He's thinking the first twenty percent is tax free, so I don't need to include that in my first quarter estimate, and that's false. I think because of the fact that he mentioned that it is a medical practice, he is asking if that is a service business that is under the QBI. It is a service. It is a service business. That's it, how I 
I took. But that's why I took it that but way. But if you if we, if we want to go down that path, <laughs> then it gets way more complicated. <laughs> so, ser, service businesses. If he's married and and he and his wife make less than three hundred twenty thousand dollars approximately of taxable income, it doesn't matter whether it's a service business or not. He gets the full twenty percent. If it's over that, then it's a totally then, different. Then volume. it's then there's phase outs like crazy. So so forget about it. And if he's if he's single, it's half of that, right? So it's about one sixty of taxable income. And and so what I tell people, if you're married, less than $320,000 of taxable income, it doesn't matter if you're a service business or not, you get the 20%. As long as your business income is greater than your taxable, taxable income. income, those are the limitations there. Yeah. Because then you have these other businesses, and then you have another spouse that works, and then the taxable income is high. You know, so it, it's, it's complicated. It's, it's complicated. So yeah. there you go, Dr. Um, so Oleg. Maybe. Dr. Oleg, maybe. Check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for more on the qualified business income deduction. Now, the fellows have a couple more of your money questions to attempt to answer momentarily. But you know, if you haven't done so already, the two best ways to show your love for Your Money, Your Wealth are to share the podcast with everyone you know. That helps us spread this financial lunacy, I mean, literacy, and also to make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. Episodes will download automatically to your device and you can listen whenever you want. In the coming weeks on YMYW, Oliver Rennick from TD Ameritrade Network talks about the effect the media has on the markets. And economist Dr. Chris Thornburg returns to YMYW to give us his thoughts on the Southern California real estate market and the state of the economy in general. Share and subscribe at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. All right, we got Rob from uh, Santa Clarita. You like how I rolled the tongue on that one? That's, that, that's really, you've been in Southern California a while. I have. I have a pension plan at work. I have an IRA with Schwab uh, that was rolled over from a previous employer's 401k. I make too much to open a traditional tax-deferred IRA and too much to contribute to a Roth. The way that I understand is that I could still contribute $7,000 to an IRA on 56 and still get the benefits of not paying the taxes on the gains and dividends and allow those non-tax gains to grow exponentially. Is this correct? But would it be wiser to convert a portion of my IRA to a Roth or do both? I currently only have one IRA, so there is no complication with the pro rata rule if I convert a portion to a Roth. Of course, from your lessons, I would not convert so much that it would throw me into a higher tax bracket. Okay, Rob, let's talk about a couple of things. Lessons. Lessons. Lesson one. Lesson one, you got to go back and reread and rewatch <laughs> <laughs> because you failed a couple of them. Right? Uh, you did say, yeah, you don't want to convert too much to throw you in an, a higher tax bracket. That is. Yeah, um, we, we agree with yep, that. Check A plus there. <laughs> but so he makes too much money. So is he single or is he uh, married? Well, we, don't, we don't know. Okay, well, I was going to say if you're married, then the Roth IRA income limitations is it's, around $200,000. Yeah, it's like 193 to 203 is the phase out. 193 to 203. So if you make more than 203 of adjusted gross income, modified adjusted gross income, Rob cannot put money into it. So he's doing a non-deductible IRA contribution is what he's doing, $7,000. So he's asking if he gets the benefits not to pay taxes on the gains and dividends and allow those non-tax gains to grow exponentially. I mean, like, infinity. Because, because you don't have to pay taxes. They grow exponentially. <laughs> but if it's in a traditional IRA, 
Rob, you will still have to pull the money out at age 70 and a half, and then you will have to pay taxes on those exponentially gains that you earned um, at ordinary income rates. Yeah, think about this. If you kept it in your non-retirement account and it grows, you're not going to pay capital gains until you sell that asset. You might have some dividends to pay along the way. But then when you do sell it, it's long-term capital gain, right? The way what you're thinking is you put it into your IRA, you defer the taxes, but all of that deferral, including the, the you know, what most of the IRA that's in there. You is put seven thousand dollars over the next twenty years, it grows to fifty. Well, you, the seven thousand you put in comes out tax-free, but you know the forty-three thousand dollars that it grew to is all going to be taxed at ordinary income rates if it's in the traditional IRA. And and it's pro rata, so that seven thousand dollars. I don't know how much you rolled into the IRA, but let's just say it was a couple hundred thousand bucks. Now you put seven in, so now seven divided by two hundred seven thousand. That's the amount that's tax-free, and the rest is fully taxable. So it, if there's there's some better ways to do this. Number one is either just not do it and leave it in your trust account, yeah, your non-retirement account, account to right. get long-term capital gains. Or if you have a 401k, he says you have a pension at work. If it's, if it's a 401k, you could potentially roll your IRA back into the 401k. The, the, the 401k will not let you roll in the, the, um, the pre-tax part, the IRA part, and so you'll be left with $7,000 in your IRA that, that you can convert and pay no tax whatsoever. Yeah, but I'm still, I think you just confused everyone else. Probably. Because what he's stating is that he put $7,000 into an IRA, all right, so do you get the benefits and the gains of dividends to non-tax for exponentially? Yes, until you have to pull the money out. So is this correct? Yes, until it's not. (laughs) But would it be wiser to convert a portion of my IRA to a Roth or both? Well, it depends. He says he's only got one IRA. But if you only have one IRA, is that one IRA the only one with the $7,000 in? If that's the case, if you have that's the only IRA you have, you put $7,000 in that IRA, you have no other IRAs, convert it. Because then it's now in a Roth, and then now that will grow exponentially tax-free. In the Roth. But he's saying he's got the IRA. It doesn't matter if you have two IRAs. He says, I currently only have the one IRA. Is the one IRA the one he just put $7,000 in, and that's the only balance of the $7,000? If that's the case, convert it. No pro rata rules. You're all good. If that $7,000 went into an existing IRA that had pre-tax dollars into it, now he's messed up. Yeah, So, but the second sentence, I'll reread. I have an IRA with Schwab that was rolled over from a previous employer's Rob, you messed up! (laughs) (laughs) That's why I answered that question that you said confused everybody. It confused the hell out of me because I didn't read his full question. So when you when you roll from your 401k to an IRA, now you got all this pre-tax yes, money. You can't do the backdoor Roth anymore. Yeah, you're you're done. You can't do it because it's all pro rata. Unless you roll it back into you roll the it back into the 401k. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, because what he says here, he's like, hey, there's no complications with the pro rata rule. Yes, there is, Rob. Yes, there is. Uh, we got Marcus. He's calling from Alabama. Okay. Uh, good evening, Joe in Big Al. This is Marcus from Alabama. Roll Tide. Oh boy! Exclamation points! Yeah, in caps. all caps. Yeah, right. Marcus, yeah. Likes. but big fan of the show. Big fan. He's a big fan of the show. Keep up the excellent work and providing funny uh, but practical financial information to millions upon millions. Thank you, Marcus. I think it's two of you. <laughs> well, even he says this might be an overstatement. A little bit. <laughs> 
Um, I believe this was covered earlier this year, but can't recall the episode, so here's my request. Can you explain estate tax gift tax and current allowable gift exemption rules? Uh, There's confusion on how and when the gift tax and gift exemption rule applies. Let's say Marcus has got $5 million net worth. I'll give away $500,000 to an individual, non-spouse, which is clearly over the $15,000 limit. Do I have to pay a $485,000 gift uh, tax, or is this subtracted from the current lifetime exemption of $11 million? In general, if one doesn't plan on having a net worth of $11 million, should there be concern as to the amount of money one gives away to an individual in a year or over their lifetime? Disclaimer, the above scenario is purely for educational purposes, only I do not have $5 million net worth yet. Thanks. Coming. Marcus, sounds like Marcus is in the business. Yeah, he's he's planning on making some big money. Yeah, he's a financial planner. Right. And right. He's like, damn it, I got a client calling me. <laughs> How do I answer? <laughs> How do this? I answer? Because this is a very sophisticated question Marcus it is. has got it going is. on here. Yeah. So and ask these guys. It's also, uh, it's also very answers. specific. Yeah, very specific. <laughs> so Marcus is in the profession and he gets a call from his client in Alabama. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, son of a I don't know how, the how answer. Do I, how do I answer? Well, how this? do I do this? He's looking all over. He's on our website, and he's like, "Screw it! I'm just gonna." I couldn't find your episode. <laughs> I'm just gonna just, just I'm say just it gonna, again. Yeah, just just say, "Hey, I need some help." Right. Yeah. It's good. It's a good question. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll answer it. All right. So, uh, Marcus, you are correct. It's a, it's a little over eleven million dollars exemption right now. So what that means is, if you were to pass away. The next generation can get eleven million dollars of your assets with no estate tax, no death tax, no death tax. Correct. Uh, and if you're married, husband and wife can each get eleven million. It's like eleven point two million, roughly. So call it uh, call it twenty two million that can go to the next generation tax free. So if you think you're going to be over that $11 million, one of the things that you can do is you can start giving it away before you pass away. And so the IRS thought, well, we're going to have to have these rules because otherwise everyone could give everything away and then not have to pay any death tax on it or estate tax. And so they said, all right, so we'll let you give right now $15,000. We'll let you give $15,000, no questions asked, to anyone that you want to. But if you give more than that, you've got to file a gift tax return because we don't want you getting out of paying this, this estate tax. Okay, So that's why these two things are related. So if you give away $500,000, then you file a Form 709, which I actually have right here. And I'm not going to go through it because it is way too complicated to go through on the air. But I'll give you the essence of it. A Form 709 is what you file each and every year. You give more than $15,000 to any one recipient. And so in, this, in your example, you give $500,000 away to somebody. So you subtract out the fifteen because you're allowed to give that. So what's left is 485000 That goes on the return. And in essence, it gets subtracted from, from the 11, 11 million. million. It's, it's actually done in, in a different way. That what really happens is the 480, you compute the gift tax on that and sub- subtract it from your unified credit. But no one understands that, including accountants. So I'm just going to say... It's the inverse of it. It's the inverse. I'm just going to say that's roughly it, right? Basically, you're giving, you're, 
you're taking some of that $11 million exemption and you're giving it early. Yeah, if you're taking like the CFP or CPA exam, it's the inverse. So yeah. you actually need different yeah. numbers. Right. But for for yeah. this show? Yeah, for for and for our <laughs> our ability yeah, I don't know. to explain. <laughs> anyway, so I think that's probably the best way to, to explain it and think about it is you're basically giving some of your $11 million away early. And so why would you want to do that? Well, you would want to do that a couple reasons. One is if you felt like the $500,000 you were going to give away is going to grow in value, then when you give it away, it grows in the person you gave it to's uh, assets, not yours, right? And the second reason you would do it is, you know what, this $11 million has only been just a, a couple of years. I mean, it was $5 million just a couple of years ago, and it could go back to $5 million. It could go back to $1 million at some point. So you give it away now while, you, while it's still an exemption. So th- those would be a couple reasons that you would do it. Or if you felt like Marcus uh, uh, and or his client was going to eventually make a lot of money, then yeah, you could start doing that right now. Um, all right. Hopefully that helps, Marcus. That's it for us today. For Big Al Clopine, I'm Joe Anderson. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch you next time on Your Money, Your Well. Stick around to the very end of the episode for this week's derails and check the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to see the video of that last discussion on the estate tax and gift tax and gift exemptions and to read the transcript and to subscribe and share. All the links that you need are in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner, click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. Did you have surgery or something? You got something on your chin? It's like, does it... I do. What is that? Is that... I don't know. Shaving accent? No, no. It looks like a piece of hair that blew. <laughs> oh, maybe it's just like a... Put your shirt. Scared me. Shadow? No, you're good now. Okay. I thought it was Better. like stitches or something. I was like... Did you, yeah. Did you fall down? and <laughs> Do the show. I just go home and just <laughs> fall over. I just can't stand it. <laughs> it was like you shattered your chin or something. I usually don't look underneath your chin, but because I'm a lot taller than you. That's what true. You, yeah, I'm like 6'4". You're 5'1". So you, you never you never get to see the <laughs> no, chin I never under, see under the chin. Yeah, I never see that. you're lying on the ground? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I you lying on the ground right now because I threw my back out. <laughs> wow. I'm actually... To be perfectly honest, I'm 5'10". Uh, okay. Yeah. That's why, that's why because we call remember, you Big Al. Remember when you used to say I was 300 pounds? <laughs> yeah, and well, then I would get mad, and then that would only make it worse. <laughs> so I stopped refuting you, and then you stopped having fun with it. So you never do that anymore. <laughs> oh, boy. We're just having fun here at Your Money, Your Wealth. <laughs> Isn't our buddy, um, our, the professor, doesn't he on the Santa Clarita, the pro- behavioral finance guy? He got talks in that accent? Uh, trying to think who that is. Um, I forget. This is what is called non-prepared uh, <laughs> <What> statements. <laughs> I do know Santa Clarita. I think that's where Six Flags is Magic Mountain. Herb? Is his name Herb? No, anyway. Okay, well, Rob, he's got a question. <laughs> I, um... It's going to come to me. And he it talks is. like... Uh, it's not Mir Statman. Mir Statman. Oh, yes, it guy. is. See, all yeah. I have to do is talk like this. And yes, then and then it, then it comes to you. <laughs>
Yes. Comes to who? Market efficiency. Did, did, market. You, you know, I met him. Mir. I, I met him at a Tiburon conference. Yeah. Did you say what up, Mir? Yeah, I said, hey, we had you on the show. Did he go? He said, well, I, nice to meet you. Yes, he sounds, he's very intelligent. Yes. And we, actually, we just hit 10,000 subscribers on our YouTube 10, channel. 10,000 10, subscribers wow. to the YouTube channel. I remember channel. when it was 10. Yeah, and it was you and I did it seven times. And your mom. And then my mom. And then I think. And I finally got my mom. That's how we cracked 11. Right. Wow. So that was nine. And then, I don't know. But 10,000? 10,038. Is that a lot? I don't even know if that's a lot. That sounds like Not really. Right? It seems somewhat like a... a, I mean, that's a lot of people that are paying attention to us. Yeah. And we're giving good information. But then, you know, some other guys, like, you know what? My YouTube channel's got 10 million. Yeah. So we're bragging about Yeah, but they're doing, like, makeup tutorials and stuff, Joe. Well, we could do that, too. We could. We could. (laughs) You want to do that segment? Well, Al, you're... You you, you wear makeup. (laughs) 